0: That's all right, that's all right. Chop.
1: boys and girls and welcome back to Maiden a to z eric is not here today so my name would be jonathan and with me henrik is here and yes again I'm from australia ben welcome back
0: thanks for having me great to be back
1: been a few weeks since we did the, the trilogy trilogy that we're listening to right now we're getting ready for the final part and i, I know that you have heard the episodes henrik notoriously doesn't listen to Making I never agency. have time. I never have time. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, pod listening is a acquired taste in a sense, mm. too. Like, uh, and you can do the pod talking anyway. So that's what you're yeah, here well, for, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because of that, I wanted to ask you, Ben, if you have, uh, did we miss something, I think, in the first two episodes?
0: Um, I thought the only thing I think we didn't really talk about, which we may have talked about in the third one briefly, but just even the production of the because we really just went into the deep dive, the yep. history of the band. We, we did the DVD, but we didn't talk about the production of the DVD, the way it looked, the way it was shot. You know, True. the actual DVD itself, it was right. sort of like we just dove straight into the band. I, I just thought of it later on and thought, oh, that's interesting. We didn't actually talk about that whole, the way they'd done it was fantastic. Like it's a standard Talking Heads, you know, linear narrative Type of situation, but they put a lot of uh, a lot of money into it and a lot of time, and it looked great and it was compelling. Like I can, I've probably watched it twenty times all the way through. Yeah, and, and the and the second one maintained. I almost think the second one was filmed at the same time as the first one, but the third one is when the whole production thing—they literally just put it out. It's like
1: less material, like right that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and very, it just seemed like they they put about thirty percent of the effort into the. You know, I was so excited to see that third one with the somewhere That's in same. time and everything yeah. like that. I was like, oh, this is going, and I was just sort of like, oh, this is just not that good. And the way it was, it was almost like <laughs> it was almost like Martin Birch produced the first two. And then maybe it was a it was a will malone yeah (laughs) puffing will will, 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 Will malone or harris his in his barnyard studios doing holy smoke Mm. you know like that exactly and i was like ah but fantastic
1: the first part is the one and you know it was such a good dvd release with those concert on too the concert clips and uh, i mean that was a gold mine it was a christmas gift for me i remember uh, at uh, you know 19 or something when you still received christmas christmas gifts mm-hmm. and uh, it was yes. that DVD. I'm looking for it now. I have the original but I don't know where it is. For me I I think we missed one one thing that it's timed well now before the third episode and that's uh, women in uniform uh, the mm. skyhooks cover. I think we mentioned it but it's an important part, right? Yes. Um, yeah.
0: It is. And totally left field too, like yeah. it was not released on killers in australia so it wasn't on that record so really it was just seeing the video and uh it's like how did they do a skyhook song
1: like and why it's really weird are you familiar with skyhooks band? are you familiar with them oh yeah being uh, being your being your country mates right
0: they're a big band a big uh, they're were, they were a big 70s australian band they were huge and they were kind of a glam band, like really um, in that well, kind of, I wouldn't say slut, T-Rex and Slade, but coming out of on the back end of that stuff, very mm-hmm. glammy and in an, not like, I mean, KISS weren't glam in that sense, but yeah, way over the top. And then, But the singer of the band, Shirley Strong, was an excellent singer, and he had, the original version, he just absolutely slams it. He's got that, he's got, he's almost seen more like a twangy Bruce Dickinson, in a sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, right. it's... Like uh, the Tony Platt,
1: the producer. Uh, yeah. who, who he pre- he, uh, produced and uh, recorded Women in Uniform by Maiden. Also oh. an Aussie, right? Or is he? Tony Platt? Or is he, or is he an Englishman working with uh, Australians? I think he's so, English. Okay, yeah. because he worked with ACDC, right?
0: Yes, and and I I was blown away when they'd done a, when I'd seen that they'd done the Skyhooks cover. I was probably twelve when I first heard it, mm. and it was well, Wait a minute, did Iron Maiden record this first? You know, it was. and You start thinking, and then I look straight away oh, go yeah. to the credits. You know, right, right, and um and the songwriter, Greg, someone I forgot his name. It's Macange. McCainish, yes. Yeah. Stood behind him at an A C D C concert. Okay. He was the bass he was well, he was the bass player in uh, Skyhooks. But um
1: And shorter yeah, than you, yeah. I hope. Shorter Sorry. so you can see A C D C. No,
0: he's like he's like six three, six four, oh, he's no. a big tall, oh, big no. tall guy. Yeah. Oh, I, that's where I imagine he was very tall. I was like, oh. That's Greg McCainish. Um, but yeah. Oh, it was uh, just an odd choice for a song. And I just thought, that's okay. going to be publishing. Like, could be. could be. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But publishing could be... PR, if they were yeah. big. Maybe there was a, an early attempt that, you know, we're going to conquer Australia as soon as possible. Let's make something they recognize. I don't know.
2: I th- this yeah. is something that Zomba publishers asked Iron Maiden to do. And I don't know if they had some kind of favor to call on them or something, but for some <laughs> reason, like yeah, for some reason they agreed on doing it. And it's a really weird... <laughs> It's, thing because
0: it's do you would think steve harris would just say no, no to every everything like that so there's right. obviously some sort of as you say like a favor we've got to do this and on the theme of, in. Yeah.
1: of what we we're discussing pretty much all through episode one and episode two as well steve's iron will you know yeah and what happened here he wasn't there <laughs> you know so again a favor must have been like called in we have a terrible uh um, what's the word again, uh, government boss in Sweden, who's yeah. <laughs> like, his, every job he shits at it, and he just keeps <laughs> getting top jobs after top jobs, so he knows something, you know? <laughs> uh, that's what I feel with this one, you know, when someone yeah. has an in on someone, like, you must do this, and you have no choice, because otherwise, why would Steve do this song? I kind of yeah. like it, but it's so left field. It's really weird, and... And
2: to release it as a single as well. I mean, as an (laughs) A-side.
1: Yep. With its own cover (laughs) art. Yeah. By Derek Riggs, right? Mm -hmm. They went all in on it. Great cover art. Very cool too. Yeah.
0: It wasn't like it was a B-side or something, you know, just off the cuff. No. They went all in on it. And just you mentioning it now makes me think, was it a, a record company saying, this could be a way into Australia, or this is an Australian song that, no one else knows. It's a really good hooky sort of melodic rock song. Yeah, this could be a way into the market overseas. Yeah. You know, no right, one no right. one knows this tune. So like, maybe that was their the thinking.
1: Yeah. yeah, and maybe that it was so far away Australia. So maybe they're like, yeah, we could have mm-hmm. a hit with this. We're pl- in places where it didn't hit by Skyhooks. Yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. the, the, the timeline thing, that you think, oh, is this an Iron Maiden original? Because we had Dan Swan on a producer, we talked about That Girl. And he claimed yeah. that the Maiden version came out first. So it's an FM song, but the original release is the Maiden song. I've, I never looked it um, up, though.
2: I think it might be that they were released in very close, talking about F, uh, That Girl now. That Girl, yeah. yeah but th- the studio version on the FM album is quite different from the Maiden yeah. version. But there is a demo version... From okay. the FMs on, the, on the single right. FM single B-side, and I, which right. is a, li- a lot more
1: like the Maiden version of that girl. Oh, yeah, all right, oh. so I'll get you in for the next episode with Dans Farner then, and we, you can have a, a heated debate.
2: <laughs> no, 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 I guess, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess it's quite easy to go on Discogs and see which he one was released probably. first and stuff like that. So but it's,
1: Discogs is a mess sometimes, though.
2: It is, yeah. yeah. But you and have what to-
1: about you, Henrik? Uh, women in Uniform, Skyhooks, and also the Maiden version. When did you hear it? And like what's your relationship with this? I think this
2: I must have heard it on Swedish radio sometime at, at the end of the 80s and I was very confused. I had seen the 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 cover of the they re, they issued some kind of 12 inch live EP thing in Europe and that had women in uniform. Uh, yeah, I had that one. Phantom of the Opera and
1: the, the cover art Drifter, from the guess, first yeah. self-titled zoomed in. Yeah, zoomed it. in, yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, so I knew about the song and I just thought, oh, this is great. And I never really got it because it didn't sound like Iron Maiden in that sense, but I heard it was Iron Maiden. Yeah, and then very good I,
1: production though. Yeah. The production trumps uh, the one on, on the self-title. Mm-hmm. is better. But I also heard that Tony Platt was fired uh, from mixing. And Steve took it over, so it's mixed by Steve and Doug Hall, the yeah. front of house engineer.
2: they they weren't happy at all with his mix. His mix was a bit too polished and too.
1: Yeah, w- started mm. adding stuff. I think yeah. he added mm. layers and uh, you know putting yeah. more music into it, and that Steve wouldn't have that. You know, I think he was pretty much sick at that point. Like, I'm mm. agreed to do this song. Yeah, <laughs> time to draw the line. Yeah.
2: Actually, I think it was a contractual thing that they that they had to get something released. I mean, uh, Tony Platt was managed by Zomba, I think, as was martin birch and martin birch they wanted to work with martin birch but they didn't approach him for the first album and then they sort of talked to him but he was busy doing i guess white snake or something like that at the time yeah he did white snake for a brief period yeah. when they had the kind of deep purple lineup and that's yeah. when they got tony Platt in and they i guess this was oh. a, sort of a trial recording then perhaps i don't know Oh, yeah
1: probably just to try if he could become yeah. the producer this is pure uh,
2: speculation now but it's yeah. right right <laughs> right
1: but it sounds really good uh, mm-hmm. when i uh, i recently acquired the 12 inch yeah and it sounds awesome mm-hmm. I, I, I fell out of my armchair when i heard it because it's really heavy in the intro and everything yeah but then it kind of you know it loses a bit of the heaviness as it goes into verse and and chorus yeah but i, I do like that kind of trotting thing going yeah exactly yeah. the intro kicks ass mm-hmm.
0: that's the thing it's got those some of those maiden elements in the that are in the original song it's like I could hear you guys actually playing this it's yep. yeah what you do is in there
2: and it's you know so and when was it
1: released a, again is it after self-titled before, it was before that, it o- October no, October
2: 1980 I
0: guess mm, okay yeah mm. so before Killers
2: yeah like, right I mean right. it's still Dennis Stratton on guitar. Okay, so, yeah, that's right. In, yeah. in the video and, as well. And he's, <laughs> he's almost, in in video. Video. <laughs> almost in the video. Almost in the video. I mean, you can see him in a few shots. So. His hair
1: is flying by. Yeah, and yeah. his red shirt. A, yeah. So he's like semi-kicked out of the band already. Like, let's not put too much of that guy in. There's, in there's, the there's
2: been a lot of debate about that. And I guess that's uh. pretty much the case, that they knew he was out by the time the video was released. Right.
1: Was being edited. Or, yeah, so he wasn't uh. really in it. It's like with Opeth when they fire the keyboard player, Per Barry. Mm-hmm. He's on the cover of the last album he's on, but everyone is an apple. Every band member is an apple, and he's almost fallen off. Like okay. His face is, is it's tangling at the edge yeah, okay. because they knew he was out.
2: I thought you were going to say he was a pear then, so... <laughs> yeah, no, up, yeah. He is a pear, right?
1: <laughs> or,
0: or, or, or a rotten apple. Yeah. <laughs> <A> rotten apple. <laughs> but it's funny, you talk about the layering thing with Dennis Stratton between Tony Platt and mm, Dennis yeah. Stratton. That could yeah, have been
1: a mess. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Maybe they, they would have gone, you know, maniacal with that.
0: Mm. Full Roy Thomas Baker.
1: Right, right. <laughs> so what else did I want to ask before heading into the third part? Uh, I know that, Henrik, you, I didn't get to hear what you wanted to say about Phantom of the Opera, the song. And I was, was just curious because mm. we started talking about touching me back at your leg instead. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> for that interruption. No worries. No worries. It happens all the time. But and yeah. I, I don't you remember. You were about w- to say something. <laughs>
2: oh okay, okay, I was. Yeah. I, I claimed remember. it was the
1: best song ever, and then you had a reply.
2: Uh is it? was probably my reply. No, I don't know, <laughs> <No>. because <laughs> I, I can't I can't for the life of me remember where we were in sort of no, what no. we were but talking I about. Mean, what do you think about? about the song? I think it's a really great song. It was the first time I heard it was on Live of the Death when I got it. And I was I mean, that was a real proper introduction to the sort of epicness of songs, that it can have several parts and s- solos and stuff like that, right. and I really like that.
1: Yeah, it's very effective. You know, the, the beginning part is, I think, uh, south of two minutes or something. It's not long before they head mm-hmm. into the, the plucked, mm-hmm. you know, your yeah. distance thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so every movement is quite brief, but it flows nicely. You know, it's a perfect song, eh, in yeah. my opinion.
2: And it's, and it's got the, the intensity as well that I really liked. I mean, of the o- yeah. it's, it's the intensity of the early material being the Clive Burr stuff from, uh, on the recording. Excellent but.
1: track, and also I have the isolated drum track for that. I think mm. it's one of the few isolated Clive studio tracks available out there, so okay. we'll listen to that in a while. Yeah. You know, mm. Cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what else could we do before jumping into the episode? We have Ben on now, just, you know, it's c- kind of fun because we lost Eric at the end of episode two, uh, so mm. the, the, the coming one is us three. And yes. I haven't edited it yet, because this was a beast. You know. I can't, Normally, I edit with my laptop without my studio setup, using the inbuilt sound card. But this episode, I can't even do that, because the ACO is over, <laughs> overloaded by <Yeah>. gigabytes <laughs> of talking. It, it so it was a big one. So I haven't heard the last part yet, so we can mm. only speculate. But I know that us three, we tried to race th- through from the debut up until Eddie getting killed in Dortmund in mm. about an hour. Yes, yeah. Which it, sounds tough to me now. <laughs>
0: but I suppose we—if you think about it—we did the first. We kind of did each three-year span. It's really the first ten years of their existence, yep. and so we, we we got through each section in around an hour, an hour maybe a little bit over, hour and a half. Yep. But it is that thing of, um, that. Those first six years are really where it's uh,
1: that band was built. Yeah. Very you know, dramatic. It's persistence. Yeah. Dramatic it's and persistence. also chaotic, which is nice for us nerds. You know, mm. it's chaotic. There's names everywhere. Oh, I wanted to add that too. We didn't really mention the keyboard player enough. Uh, he was <laughs> mentioned and we lost him. Uh, is there something to say about him? I guess that. Tony. T- Tony Moore,
2: yeah. Tony Moore, yeah. I don't know if there's a lot to say about him in terms of what he's been doing and what he does now and stuff like that, but, I mean, he's been part of all these uh, coming together of old members and they try to issue stuff or print t-shirts and stuff like that. That's been happening the last five years. But mm-hmm. I don't know if he's sort of like been an active musician in that sense.
1: Like the original Iron Man. Yeah. I remember seeing in a record shop uh, with uh, Poliano and Dennis Stratton, I think yeah. I was. 14 and i thought like this is sad <laughs> I've, I've never seen anything this sad yeah you know this day i'm I'm a fan of those guys i know they're talented but at that time i was like these wash-ups you know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't buy it as a 13 14 year old maiden freak i didn't buy it well, no. this is sad. You,
0: should, you shouldn't buy it like it is like you can't deny someone talking about their own legacy or their impact or whatever but it sounds desperate in a way too, you know. Yeah. If you're going to be honest,
1: like. And then there was Paul Pauliano's Metal Christmas.
2: Yeah, that's Santa that, Claus is coming fru- to that's town. So horrible! I mean, in yeah. the most, in the most literal sense of the world, horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, know. I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I went a little um, people pleasing and with Eric and did a holiday special. And Eric asked Henrik, like, you want to be on the holiday special? No. He was like, nope. Biggest no I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not into Christmas, guys. <laughs> not oh, as so holiday okay. from the holiday special. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> maybe yeah, that maybe that's outfit. the
2: episode I'm going to be listening to some sometime then.
1: <laughs> yeah, just to uh, experiment with your mind, right? Yeah. Uh, there was one more thing. Uh, I know that you've been talking about this, Henrik. Uh, mm. in, the, in this last hour, at some point, I asked you where you get all your facts from. And. Uh, yeah, you had some, you had some credit, uh, credit and, that, you, and that's I the think.
2: thing. I know I mentioned somewhere in the in the early days uh, bit where I, I talk a bit about different publications and books and stuff like that. But I must not forget to mention my good friend Luis in Venezuela, who has compiled all this wonderful nerdy information into two mammoth uh, e-books or PDFs or whatever that he's uh, selling and uh, it might sound a bit like a uh, an, an advert now but i think it's well worth checking out and it is he, called the first one which spans from you know the the earliest uh, steve harris days to i guess up until uh, 2000 yeah yeah you know book of souls and stuff like that uh, yep. which is called the detailed discography of the beast i don't think it's a discography really but detail it is in yeah it's phenomenal in that sense and I guess, I don't know if you can sort of like put out links, written links and stuff like that in when you publish these things or these pods. I don't know, because it's quite a mouthful to try and read out. Oh, you mean for the links? For the links,
1: yeah. Yeah, I can post them on our socials. Yeah, That's yeah, easy. let's do that yeah. because it's well, uh, wonderful. He's done another one. Are you one.
0: doing the show notes? Uh, mm, yeah,
1: Eric is, Eric is doing the hosting because he's on Planet N, so mm. Uh, mm. I'll give him that mission. but. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I had a nice feedback from on Twitter from uh, uh, Rock Frog, the E and the Rock Frog. <laughs> well, seems very knowledgeable, and he says in episode twenty-one, the Clairvoyant, where Bruce is quoting um, uh, what we called random poetry in the intro of um, I'm doing the bass intro of Clairvoyant, he's actually citing Thundergraph Generator, yes. a song called Plague, Plague of, of Lighthouse, Lighthouse, Lighthouse Keepers. Keepers. Yeah, and you knew that, Henry. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think you weren't on Clairvoyant, were you? Sorry, or were you? Were you on Clairvoyant with us? Uh, no, were, I, right? no, I wasn't. No, oh, I wasn't. Okay, that no. was. Uh, can I play with Madness then? Yeah. No, yeah, he... anyway, always great to to be trumped by bigger, made knowledge. Mm.
2: Yeah, he used to do that on the 2003. I don't know. I think it was the. Uh, was it what was it called? The Give Me Ed Till I'm Dead yeah. tour.
1: Yeah, right. He used to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, we're getting ready to head into the last bit, right? Yeah. Yes, we are. We should introduce the episode. You ready for that? Yes. So I will say Maiden A to C presents The Early Days Trilogy Part three
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'd be awesome.
1: Okay, let's say that we have actually made it up to EMI, because I think we're talking now a lot about the management yeah. and Rod, and we haven't mentioned Andy Taylor, Mr. Moneybags. Mm. You know, He's also very important, and they speak a lot of, in the documentary of how much money they actually spent on Maiden, yeah. and how, how they were ready to do it. And that goes back to the idea of the rock dream still being alive, and you could actually take a chance on a band. And
2: to the idea that they were actually able to use Advance from they did get this three-album deal and they managed to somehow get some kind of advance from those three albums to use to put into Tour support and stuff at the beginning and when they then got to number the beast and it was a number one It sort of repaid itself Manifold. Yeah, yeah, Uh, but had they not had that kind of uh, Economic sensibility it probably wouldn't have worked but they were clever yeah. they're, they're clever no, about it I, and I think Andy Taylor is a huge part in that.
1: Yes. Mm. And uh, you know, re- return yeah, return on
0: investment like putting them on the road and paying for it and then them delivering enough that the albums sell and that people love them. That's all still a gamble, mm. you know, like it's completely yeah.
1: completely could have tanked. It could have tanked entirely, but mm. then again this was a powerful time for a record yeah. company. So I guess they they had mm. their emergency plans And as they well, were also
2: interested hand. in the band being successful since they had a three-album deal with them. So they did the necessary work as well. Yeah, mm. yes,
1: yeah. yes, yes. And uh, yeah, what about it? Uh, we're looking at 80 uh, now. Mm. I think we've kind of covered the 70s. Good enough, yeah. at mm. least. You know? yeah. We could do that. Yes, for, yes. It could be down for hours, but I don't even have the intel. So uh, let's say we have uh, the debut album up. Um, how was the touring back then? Did they get out in the world? I know they went to Sweden with. Yeah, Kiss. they did the
2: Kiss tour. They the first thing they did was yeah. the Metal for Mothers tour, wasn't it? In England and then, mm-hmm. or yes. in Britain really, and then uh, the Kiss tour in the summer or fall or something like that.
0: Yeah, Europe. Yeah, that was their yeah. first European mm. tour, and then the the, the world tour. Yeah, was the, yeah, they did they did the UK
2: mm-hmm. with Judas Priest in the in the spring, I think, of '80. Yeah,
1: cool, cool. I remember that rivalry. Also, Amazing. speaking of like uh, Maiden turning up to Priest's uh, rehearsal yeah. space, they went into the room, staring them mm. out.
2: Is that right? I think there was some kind of, you know, Paul Diano being Paul Diano had said something in an interview <laughs> where he said, "Well, we're going to blow Priest off stage or something like that," and they didn't take that one too kindly. And then they show, then Maiden showed up at the rehearsal thingy. You know, with a few pints in their hands, just to try and reconcile, but that didn't really work
1: at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Priest fan. Bad, bad the only artwork I have on my walls in my actual apartment that is not like in a rehearsal space or in my in my um, shed, mm. it's uh, uh, screaming for vengeance. It's the only one mm. there. But I'm sure Made and blew them off the stage. I'm I sure. think so. It was the they point did. of entry yeah, tour, fact. for Christ's sake. Fact, Fact. <laughs> You know, <laughs> no, it was it you know, was pretty I steel
2: though. Yeah, point of entry
1: was the U.S. Yeah, I still yeah. think made him blew them off yeah. the stage, mm. you know, with all, all that energy and everything. And of course, this is still a turbulent time in the band. We're seeing the departure of Dennis Stratton, we addressed before. We're seeing the uh, departure of Polliano in a while, but first, we're seeing the entrance of our hero, yes, Adrian Smith. comes into the band, finally. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, uh, I wanted to mention that before, that a problem for Dennis, a big problem, is that they always wanted yeah. Adrian. I, it's like you're dating a girl and she has a dream guy, and he's suddenly available, you know, you're out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You're out of it. Uh, there's no way you're going <laughs> to tackle that.
0: They, they, they did they did advertise, though, for a, a... They showed the advert for the guitar player for Iron Maiden, so yeah. he wasn't this as... Yeah, so they, they still... It wasn't known whether he um, was going to say yes or anything. They were still looking for other players. But there's the interesting thing with him, just quickly, is that he – if you watch that uh, Rainbow gig and they talk about him showing up with the Vox Amp and they say, plug into that, mate. Like, you watch him playing and I could be projecting this, but he's literally just going – I can't believe I'm doing this. In a sense, like yeah, it's all, he's yeah. just smiling from ear to ear, yeah. and he's gone from sh- schlepping a demo around that no one's interested in yeah. his band's dying, mm. and then all of a sudden he's a, a packed rainbow in front of a wall of Marshalls, yeah, yeah killing it, you know, with like, his gold
1: top mm. that he's still he's still using that oh. gold top, you know.
0: And that guitar sounds unreal on that recording. Yeah, it's my it's unreal. my number
1: one guitar that I would want. You know, I'm not a guitar collector or anything, but if I was, that would be the the golden goose. Literally. Eh, it's on mm. the loose. Eh. Yeah, for sure. Uh... <laughs> he must have written that too on, on, on that on that one. He keeps putting it out. That Gangland video he did. I mean, maybe not recently, but at least in the yeah in in, in the recent yeah. times. He played that one mm. too. And with those mini humbuckers, it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, the old Deluxe, that, that would weigh probably 15 kilos because it's a mid-70s. Mm. 4.5 maybe, yeah. yeah.
1: It, yeah. yeah. Heavy <laughs> enough, heavy enough. But
0: but yeah, it sounds amazing on that video, yeah. the, the Rainbow stuff, the tones, are awesome. Rainbow is uh, one yeah. of their
1: best uh, documentations. I think it's very strong. And I'm also thinking that the, the, the lucky coincidence of getting um, Adrian in together with Martin Birch mm. at the same yeah. time. I mean, Killers sounds so good. It sounds so good. Like it's there's not any way to tell that Killers would be a novice band compared to Brave New World. Let's say it's as tight, Mm. it's as brilliant and as cool uh, already. Technically, I'm technically speaking, not even aesthetically, Mm. it's already up to par. You know what an album?
0: Yeah, and that that was an album I came to later. Like, and it was one of those things where the light we have the light bulb moment where you listen to it. And, you, and then all of a sudden you think this album is unbelievable because I was a Dickinson mm. guy, yep. but and loved the first record. But Killers, it's it's a it's a deeper listen in a sense, and there's no real immediate sort of stuff that those big power hooks that they sort of are known for. Yep. And but once I the once I got it, it's like this album is unbelievable, and the energy that's on it, the production is insane Mm. just such a great sounding album like yeah it kind of stands and that martin birch mid-range the martin birch mid-range you can hear it on heaven and hell and mob rules and uh, all those records i'm not
1: a jealous type person but i'm jealous of his mastery of the mid-range if i had that you know if i only had that (laughs) i'd be a name i'd be a name (laughs) because i'm scared of the mid-range sometimes when i'm mixing you know it's it's the harsh harsh sounds right there and
0: well, his mid range is like that. Rolled off. It's like four hundred to sort of seven hundred hertz, or in that sort of yep. that low mid warmth. Yep. And it's that. It's it's absolute. It's just it's just soft and but aggressive at the same time. It's really mm. great. Yeah. Like 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 an ACDC mid range on like they are masters um, of mid range. Like f- yeah, yeah. If you want to get into power, mid power yeah. age and those records, yeah. yeah.
1: And also, like uh, apparently, Birch was introduced to the debut album by Richard Blackmore on Long Island in 1980. I've heard. And Richard Blackmore is not famous ah. for he's not famous for plugging other musicians. Mm. You know, <laughs> rather the reverse. But apparently, he got into that and he showed it to Birch, and uh, uh, that was the, kind of the start of it. And Birch wondered why didn't they ask me in the first place, which they didn't dare mm. to do. This is still still before Henrik, but we're closing up on you getting into the band now as well. This is like five years prior. What
2: well, killers is uh, I know for a fact, but that's the reconstructing things. But I know that I did hear Iron Maiden the first time in 1982 because a cousin played me a tape with a, uh, a you know with a Walkman, and I was so perplexed by this spoken intro from a song for a song, and then the drums mm-hmm. kicked in, and I thought this is really interesting. It's just years later that I realized that I had actually heard The Prisoner, and oh, uh, okay. yeah. So that oh, was your first. That was manifest. the first song that I knew that I heard. But the first t- song I heard that I knew was Iron Maiden was either Run to the Hills or Sanctuary. I'm not sure because they were on this really weird compilation that was released in Sweden in 1983, I think, or 82. Uh, that someone had recorded on a tape, and I got to hear that tape
1: and uh, we talked about that yeah. before Ben but just to refresh my memory your first time hearing them was that 82 83 82 83? yeah
0: 82. the first the 82 the first song was number of the beast and then i heard he the rate the dj played number of the beast then run to the hills like as mm. it's on the record yeah and yeah, um, yeah so that was that was my introduction so
1: at the age yeah. the tender age of 8 right yeah eight years uh, old yeah. good time get them while they're young yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean i, I was I, <laughs> yeah. rod, rod, rod smallwood is is a, a yeah. very happy man yeah. we got it
1: for yeah. Life. Yeah. i got into them at 12 in 98 mm-hmm. so i mean they also they've also had good revenue on my part yeah uh, rebuying <laughs> the whole discography now and everything you know, so, mm. yeah smart way to do it and we did uh, mention eddie uh, or actually the documentary mentioned eddie but we should mention him maybe a little bit more uh, if we have I mean, mm.
0: Killers Wow I mean Even even when they showed The cover for the first record And I, I'm so used to seeing That redone version yeah. On the CD Because that's what I u- Have in the car or uh, To see that original cover You just think That looks Absolutely mm. amazing yeah. You know And That And I noticed That the Derek Riggs Interview was from the, the original 12 yeah. wasted mm. years video they just resurrected that yeah. so he's he's obviously on bad terms or not speaking terms mm. by that point so it's
1: kind of a difficult but person then, our, our friends in maiden pod managed to interview him which was i think their biggest feat of their whole yeah. thing yeah. they were in uh, in california and they interviewed him and the funny part is he still had the same maniacal laughter like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, yeah, what a guy. Nice. Uh, it's So important for the band, Derek Riggs as well. He needs to be addressed, you know, Electric Matthew yeah. or whatever mm. that was.
0: Yes. The first yes.
1: Uh, Maiden cover. And for me getting into the band, I've said this before, but my cousin was big on drawing monsters when he was 9, 10, 11 mm. or so. And then he got into Iron yeah. Maiden and uh, me and my other cousin, his brother, are like, why are you into these old farts? What's up with that? And He was like, no, they're not mm. all farts. He was offended, which I liked. You know, he was already passionate yeah, yeah. at the age of twelve. Like, they're not all farts. They're they're the best. And uh, he showed me uh, best of the beast. Uh, we listened to Bring Your Daughter. That was my first maiden song played on my own stereo system mm. uh, with my half year younger cousin. And uh, but I mean, the monsters. That was so important. We had best of the beast. We looked at different versions of Eddie. And uh, you know, drawing monsters, and again, the imagination part of it—they uh, wouldn't have been, maybe even successful, without this. No, without yeah, this. Yeah, I
2: mean, it, there's a quote from Gene Simmons that he says uh, about Eddie that this image is going to buy them, buy you all big houses. And I think there's some truth to that because it was. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like standing, looking in the record bins in nineteen eighty. But I mean, the the cover is striking, so it I'm it, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be real. The the impact that Eddie had is not to yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, we have forgotten. we have
1: the semi semi prolific musician James Hetfield. Yeah, from a tiny band called Metallica. Mm. He said that when he saw that image, you know, the first album, he was sixteen or seventeen at the time. Instant yeah. buy. You know, you're not yeah. gonna double check that instant buy. What the hell is this? This has to be cool. He turns it on. There's Prowler. Remember tomorrow, running free, Phantom of the Opera. Mm. I mean, fan for life. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and it's that that thing where the what's on the cover matches what's inside the out. You know, inside mm. the cover, like yeah. inside the on the record, in the grooves. It' not necessarily a rare thing, but that idea that they can create this whole world with their music, and then you've got that whole world in the visual sense with the cover yeah. and then they had the obviously the the insight to just absolutely run with that the fact that they put out that running free signal single and he's yeah. in, in the mm. shadows and you can't yeah. see them and they're already starting to build up to this sort it's of a, this yeah, it's a brilliant yeah. thing yeah they knew they knew mm. they had something yeah yeah
1: brilliant pr and i've heard that uh, rod and the band was good at this that they hinted stuff mm. you know they would put in ads that didn't even contain much info it was more like better watch out yeah you know Not really, but kind of, you know, like uh, spearheading the whole PR thing. Mm. And then also like mentioning Metallica, Lars's mom was uh, like a forefront of PR in in, in the north of Europe. And I think that helped a lot to just understand how do you manipulate the masses? How do you create excitement? How do you create a story around this? And I think Maiden was right on the ball, maybe because they had those five years, the dog Mm. years. As we call them in Sweden, you know. Yeah. Uh, So that when they actually were ready, they were ready. Steve had a plan. He already divided songs in between Iron Maiden and Killers. He already had this division in his head. Uh, These songs were gonna save. We're gonna save Ratsial because we already have Prowler or whatnot. He didn't say that, but Mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Clever planning. Planning comes again and again in this conversation.
0: Mm. Yeah. No accident. I mean, yeah. There's just no accidents in a sense, or. They 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 minimise any potential for an accident or a misstep. They just there's strategy everywhere, and that's what it takes to succeed at that level. It's like like trying to sell start a new brand of Coke mm, or whatever. Yeah. You really you because re, that's all you're doing is you you try to enter the marketplace, aren't you? And you've got to make it super compelling
1: speaking so. of pop or uh, soda or soft drinks or whatever you call it uh, Iron Maiden has registered Ace's high energy but they haven't produced it <laughs> but they have Ace's high energy drinks you know so I mean I, I'm not into energy drinks whatsoever I'm a coffee guy no. I'm a coffee guy but if there was an Ace's high energy drink sure I would buy one yeah
2: well yes why not I'll, I'd buy a can to have them just to, get, yeah, the to can. get the can exactly
1: yeah <laughs> to get the can
2: yeah <laughs>
0: And to make Rod Smallwood happy.
2: Speaking of planning and mistakes, we are actually coming up to one of the things that... One of the few things that I think that Steve has mentioned as being a mistake, and when that is when you get to Number of the Beast, and that is having Gangland on the album and, and right. uh, mm-hmm. relegating Total Eclipse to the single B-side. And I th- yeah. I, And I totally agree with that sentiment because I think... Total Eclipse is a fantastic song, but it's hidden away on the, you know a British seven inch single. Until yeah. you get until you I mean get the reissues and just I don't know how it works in, today in streaming terms if it's on Spotify. It's, it's not, not there. Oh, okay. It's not there.
1: It's hidden. Yeah, weirdly enough, they have to get Sanctuary, Twilight Zone, and and yeah. that one out again. But I, I don't agree with you and Steve. I think the gangland fits better in the flow mm-hmm. of the album. Total Eclipse is a slightly sure. better song. Yeah. slightly better but it yeah. doesn't really go anywhere and at that point in the album in between run to the hills and hello be the name you need a song that's on point mm-hmm. you know and i think yeah. gangland is a great mind, song yeah. it's underrated i think it's very underrated
0: it's it's definitely that and obviously invaders are the two ones on that record yeah. that you sort of yeah. maybe aren't aren't the, aren't the shining jewels that the rest of them are but yeah. it's still it's uh, still a good song and and this is when getting back to that my idea for that other podcast the other topic we could do, yeah. but the, the those when you line up the songs that aren't quite so great, consider you know are the the considered the, the big ones versus the new songs that are considered mm. their best. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because it's just the energy and the intensity they still played them at. It's it's super compelling. It, it'd be fun
1: to do that episode. Total Eclipse is excellent mm. too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: It'd be fun to I'm, do that I'm episode totally with you and with Henrik as well. But then we need uh, a new Neo Maiden apologist on the board as well, because otherwise it's going to be lopsided. Mm-hmm. Because I'm also more of an '80s Maiden mm. guy. I always have been. Actually '90s as well. I, I'm I'm more probably more into the '90s than the millennia Maiden. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I I think most people. But we find that, look at their set list. Their set list reflect if, what, where the, not the value is, but what their, their most cherished yeah. sort of songs are, like what their era.
1: Mm. An interesting part on that note, which is off topic, but anyway, we're there now, is that from the 90s Bruce, they don't represent shit. It's only Fear of the Dark. Mm. That's it. They did Bring a Daughter in 03. That's it. Otherwise, they stay off bruce's 90s and maybe because that was a decline of the band so they're not reminiscing that particular era they play more blaze stuff live than bruce 90s except for fear oh, of the i, Dark, I of suppose
0: course. i suppose while we're on bruce and total eclipse where he hits that huge note
1: the yeah. of the
0: days. That's note. beautiful but um but him coming into the band that's the final piece of
1: the puzzle yeah from,
0: yeah the real yeah, yeah. This, like yeah. So leading up mm. to number of the beast it's it's like you've got paul
1: let's talk about paul's departure
0: yes yeah. yes because we can't we literally if we're talking about tony Parsons, yeah. we're talking about paul yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean we did mention paul yeah. he's a he's a hero of mine i love mm. paul Deano. i think he's yeah. an amazing vocalist yes. And he also himself many times said that bruce is the main guy for this yeah. band not him he's been very open about that and then with small drunken Mishaps of calling him a ballerina Mm. and stuff, but you know, what the hell, Uh, you do what you have to do, I guess. But uh, Paul, yeah, Mm. I've heard this interview. I think it was with him or with Clive that uh, him and Clive was big on this uh, amphetamine product that they called cat piss, speed. Yeah, Mm. okay, Uh, yeah, speed. Obviously, speed. Yeah, but (laughs) they called it cat piss because your eyes would start running, (laughs) and uh, they would be awake for three (laughs) days. I mean, how to combine that with a health freak like Steve? It doesn't no. fit.
0: Well, well, and touring, like, and literally sleeping on buses. Yeah, I mean, and that's then, probably the reason you know, that
1: you don't want to go to sleep. You'd rather stay awake on no. <laughs> But That's,
0: that's going to kill you. That's, and that's yeah. what, it's just like, we can't rely no. on these guys anymore. And it, will will dry, like.
1: it will dry you out. It will stiffen your muscles. It will create all sorts of problems in terms of delivering on stage. So I think, like, I don't think Steve ever had a plan to kick Clive. I don't think ever, mm. not even Paul. Maybe, but Paul being kicked out is almost like it should have happened because of uh, Steve's wish- vision being a bit grander, mm. a bit bigger uh, than than what what Paul could do. Basically, he wasn't a he's not a dramatic fellow in that sense. He's a down street yeah. level type cat. And then add to that the the bad uh, mm. habits. Yeah, what do you think? Andy? No, I
2: think it's quite telling because the uh, bits of the uh, uh, G- German and Scandinavian killers tour dates were cut in the spring of '81. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always been said because he had throat problems or whatever, but it it's more it's more a matter of the band having problems with Paul Diano. And then they did the summer gigs, and then they had rescheduled the Swedish gigs to do the Scandinavian gigs to do them in uh, October, is it or September? I don't remember, uh, but. And they turned out to be Paul's last. So they, they, re- they rescheduled gigs and took him out to them. And I mean, this was after they had auditioned Bruce, even. So it's a really weird...
1: Yeah, Dave said that, that it was an awkward yeah. situation. They were still touring and playing with Paul up here in Scandinavia mm. after already deciding he was yeah. sacked and Bruce was in. Wow. Well, I mean, let's look at it like this. Uh, even though we're after the fact here. Uh, if we were mm. there... Bruce from Samson. Is it a good fit? I don't think I would have found it a Ro- good fit. Ro- Rob at was the time.
2: very against the idea. And I th- yeah. I don't know if it was because Rob was he had had a grudge with Samson, but I don't know if it's if that's the thing or It was probably a big
1: part of it, but still yeah.
0: Well, he 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 t- he, he talks about it in the video that he didn't I mean whether he's just joking, but the Bruce Bruce thing. He used to wear the white, so he yeah. might have thought he was a bit sort of. I'm not pretentious, maybe, but not necessarily the street level no, sort he, of guy that made and a bit flamboyant. Like too, uh, flamboyant, you know? flamboyant. flamboyant. flamboyant I was going to use. Yeah. yeah. Fl- you're too mm. flamboyant. Yeah. 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 He, yeah, that's he a is flamboyant. Yeah, that's a,
1: you know, he definitely yeah. is. But I wouldn't say that Paul is zero percent flamboyant either. There's flamboyancy yeah. to it. No. When he does his vibrato, he uh, shakes his head. Mm-hmm. That's flamboyant <laughs> in a sense. You know, <laughs> small parts like that but uh yeah the 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 vocalist shift very Mm -hmm. important for for early maiden history and uh, what do you think Henrik? Uh, had you been there do you think uh, i'm sure pretty much sure that had i been there i wouldn't have been really open to the idea because a i love paul b bruce is so different i think
2: we can put add another dimension into that and that is what age would i have been in if i would have been there i mean if i would have
1: let's say 19 if
2: i would have been 10 to 15 say i would have had difficulties with them changing singer but had i been 20 i think i would actually see the point in it and think it was a really good idea but it's more yeah. about the, the yeah. you know the development of my own appreciation for yeah. the band really so
1: yeah. i think like half of the vocal lines on number of the beast paul could have done yeah, possibly about fifty yeah. percent. Yeah, and then maybe the other fifty percent he could have hacked uh, mm. in a, in one way or another because he did have vocal abilities. Mm. But the the main storytelling part, the the maiden that we got into, uh, is yeah. Bruce to such mm. a big extent. Yeah,
0: and he's the final rocket yeah. booster. Really, yeah. look to use that analogy. That's the guy that can has got the personality the persona and like the, the the singer's ego to sell that band to to big mm. audiences yeah and 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 the robustness that's the thing that you talk about um not wanting to change singers but if Paul can't deliver night after night then you you basically got a a lame horse yeah, yeah. so mm. it's like it won't run it's not going to run and so Whereas Bruce just had that, it, that he was singing, he's obviously had great technique. He looked after himself you know, well enough that he could just maintain yeah. that incredible voice and, and just keep doing it. His, his tone on that Hammersmith gig is lethal. Like it's so fierce the way mm-hmm. he sings and bright and aggressive and sort of, un, you know, he hasn't almost got full control over what he's doing, but, It's just like this, it's unbelievably Mm. good. Yeah. Like you're watching a guy on fire, literally. And he obviously knew the opportunity that he had and he wasn't going to, there was no way he was going to sort of let him down or, you know, waste it in a sense, you know. Exactly. Mm. And
1: I think, uh, again, with just taking care of yourself, I, I believe that Clive and Paul were probably amazing on the first night of Cat piss or speed, or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) they're probably really good. And I think on the second day, probably still okay. But on the Mm. third day, still awake, you know, uh, there's no consistency there. And I think Steve is a very consistent cat. Yeah. I don't think he could, uh, it wouldn't fit his frame of mind, that type of crash and burn. Uh, Oh,
0: Rod, oh, Rod you know. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to keep pouring money into these dudes that you can't rely on. Yeah. You know, it's the the through line for all massive bands is that you've got to be able to deliver night after night and just keep doing it for long, long, long periods of time. You know, I mean, really, that's the beginning of the mega tours because now you've got the singer who can sing you know, and commit to those uh, huge schedules. So it's whether he liked it Two, two tours down the track or not was another thing but unbelievably good
1: mm. now that we talk about that uh, something i wanted to touch on uh, on this dvd is the live content as well we have uh, rainbow mm. which yep. uh, i've i've yep. seen because it was kind of sprinkled out on the 98 remasters that i bought this cd rom the, the enhanced you know. cd yeah enhanced <laughs> cd <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so but that's mm-hmm. all good we have the eyes of march ratchild i mean, eyes of march probably mm. on tape then and then Ratchild Killers, Remember Tomorrow, Transylvania, Phantom of the Opera, Iron Maiden, and yeah. all of them kick major ass. I I was gonna pick a favorite, but I can't. Mm.
0: Killers. I even though he sings yeah. the different lyrics. Yeah. Man, that's just awesome. Like yeah. just a fire. Like watching bands with that much intensity, like just absolutely committed to what they're doing, and there's no holding back in a sense. They're not trying to put on a show and it like they're just in the moment and going for it it's a really sort of refreshing to see bands because i don't think you see so much of that anymore it's almost like we have this meta awareness of what how rock should be presented yeah and you sort of see people almost playing the role mm, right whereas then they're still working out what the role is and they are just cranked up mega amps it's not like it's a bunch of click tracks and modeling no, like the that. side of the stage <laughs> it's just fury yeah. and that's that's what people relate to is that fury of because you can't just stand there at an iron maiden gig in 981 and talk to your friend casually no, no. and sort of say isn't this all convenient it's like you're just getting your face peeled off by yeah. this unreal band with killer songs you know like
1: apparently another fact alteration is that uh, paul claims that he came up with that uh, lyric backstage Mm. before the gig but someone pulled out this bootleg from italy where he sang the same (laughs) pre-lyric ways before so i mean that's also a thing that i wanted to touch on like the fact alterations of this dvd do you have any clear uh, other mythology. I yeah. yeah, do you know it's well, clearly. It's
2: usually in the earliest days that we have the 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 fake news. But I don't, yeah, yeah, revisionist. Yeah, Diano being Paul Diano, of course, is going to say that because it sounds a lot cooler, you know. Yeah, sounds cool. Sounds rock and roll. Uh, trying well, to I... trying to think of if there's anything else that's sort of modified, but I can't.
1: Well, obviously, the Paul Kearns. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I, was think, I was thinking bit more, more as well, around
2: 81, 82, 83 bits.
1: All ah, yeah. right, Yeah, yeah. And um, when, did, uh, when did Paul sing his last show?
2: Uh, was it here? Yeah, here it was in, in, uh, the, in the Odd Fellow Lounge in Copenhagen.
1: It uh, uh, would be fun to hear. I think there's clips from his last uh, bit. I'm not going to look them up now, but I, I might cut mm, one but, in just to hear his, his last yeah. notes with Maiden. Obviously, we have, uh, <laughs> we have Bruce's first The Dying, breath the, dying yeah. breath, the Death Rattle. We have uh, Bruce's first in uh, Bologna, yeah. I think, mm. Italy, uh, doing the Killer set, which is also interesting, like doing Purgatory, mm. for example, playing that one. It's just wow. so Bruce.
2: fascinating to have... I mean, it's the Killers tour, but it's Bruce Dickinson singing. It's a, uh, I mean, I've known about this for a long while, but it's still very fascinating.
0: listen to that like just because he literally is just over the top mm. on those songs and he's, like, so ner-
1: he's so he's so nervous stuff. on the Bologna gig yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Henrik uh, addressed that he's not remembering the lyrics of no he's he's just messing messing things up
2: uh,
0: Yes, you, you can even watch him if you watch his performance on Hammersmith, mm. you can even still see he's still working you know, working out his role in the band, like it's early days, and he's got like this nervous sort of energy to him where he's absolutely wide and running around and almost going over the top yeah. with what he's overcompensating, whereas if you watch him in Love yeah. After Death, he's he's still intense, but he's got his whole act down. He knows yeah. he's confident Whereas you can see that thing with Steve, where they're Steve's usually the front guy, yeah. now Bruce is up there. Mm. It's, it's so interesting to watch with that perspective. Definitely. Like, and I mean, yeah. Live After Death, yeah. uh, he's
1: slightly hindered by the fact that he's worn out, but he's not yeah. at all nervous. So mm. it's way different to no. go to Beast Over Hammersmith. He's not worn out, but he's nervous. Mm. So two very different yes. uh, performances. But also that's not the whole concert that they put on the DVD, right? They put... Uh, no, it was in Rumour, of the Hills, Children of the Damned, Number of the Beasts, 22 Acacia Avenue, Total Eclipse, The Prisoner, Hello, Be The Name, and Iron Maiden. So, nine songs. Yeah, and I think uh, they played something like 16. I mean, it's, there's loads more. Yeah. 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 and But yeah. there's proper recording. Watch of watched What's the, it, the right? full
0: version? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, 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 it's on the the, uh, the Best of the uh, B-Sides. That that Maiden box set, that came out, The whole Hammersmith gig on CD. Yeah. I've got that mm. somewhere. We played a bit of uh, so... Another
1: Life uh, because he did the hi-hat intro instead of the Tom's intro. Yeah. And it, it sounds brilliant. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> it's really good sounding. It's a maiden at a very still with that raw street kind of sound, mm. but with the lineup that is still there today at Janik, you know, mm. same guys.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. Same guys.
1: Like, I mean, no, okay, Clive is there, so almost yeah. same, yeah. but close to it. And I guess that could lead us to the end of Clive as well. We already addressed that he was partying hard, and some people said he was the opposite of Steve. Steve was shy yeah. backstage. Everyone says he's shy. Mm. Rod says so, his daughter says say so, like he's a shy guy, but on stage he's this furious British, British lion. Yeah. You know? and, uh, yeah. and Clive was uh, rumored to be more of a little bit uh, shy on stage, you know, just trying yeah. to, to um, fulfill his duty. And then offstage, stage, he was apparently a bit of a party animal and a prankster,
2: uh, extrovert. Yeah, yeah, and the extrovert that clashed.
1: Air. That clashed. And in his story, he went to see. He went to his dad's funeral or something like that. Um, he had to get a couple of days off, and then mm-hmm. during these days off, he got the news like, uh, "You're out." And apparently, wow. apparently, Nico had already been on payroll, a retainer for. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a year, but for a while. Again, not confirmed facts. No,
2: I've heard this story and I don't, I've only heard this in recent years and I don't really know where it comes from because I've seen no hard facts backing it up. I mean, yeah. I'd love to hear a recording of the US tour where Nico supposedly plays drums on the Number of the Beast tour, but hmm. no, I, I, I don't know.
0: I think he played on, he played, didn't he? Th- I mean, I could be quite totally wrong here, but that rings a bell that like maybe Clive couldn't do a gig or two, or maybe it was when he was away and then nico filled in for him uh, and then he was almost like a drum tech or it's, he was just kind of around the band at the time like, yeah, i mean we, we have like situations that. like this
1: um uh, talking about we, we addressed motorhead before we have uh, of course filthy animal great drummer one of my favorites and then uh, mickey d another one of my favorites <laughs>
0: mickey d yeah he's the dude he's so, man. Good. He's so good he's the dude <laughs> yeah
1: glad you agree with me on that King one diamond mm. and mickey d was touring with the scorpions before he was a drummer in in the Scorpions. He was already famous, so he Mm. was wearing this hoodie. He's lurking about in case the drummer... I forget his name now. uh,
0: James Kotak. Kotak.
1: In case he wouldn't be able, Mickey was there. So he was literally on the retainer. But I think mm. think also, like, it's rumoured now that uh, Lazarus... um, Joe Lazarus. Lazarus. It's rumoured now that he's also on a payroll. He's always ready, you know, in case Nico has another golf accident. That goes Mm. worse than last time. (laughs) Uh, They're going to fly in Lazarus. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if it's true. Uh, I have no clue. He's the niece of uh, Steve, so it could make sense. He rehearses in Steve's barnyard. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, yeah, he put out those cover songs, didn't he? Yeah. Like him doing the version. Yeah, he's yeah. The but the he's doing stuff. like
1: uh, f- B-sides, or not B-sides, deep cuts. Uh, but, yeah, and maybe he's playing along
2: th- to, in, to the entire Made in England video in one clip by saw. as okay, well. Okay, cool, yeah. Note I think for he knows note. everything.
1: <laughs> he knows everything probably. And I think yeah. the reason that they put up a lot of uh, weird songs is that uh, the rumors are not going to be... You know, relit or uh, rekindled too mm. much, so he's not playing the actual setlist songs, but I'm no. sure he knows them. I'm mm. sure he's ready to do it. Well, but gig. it's a
0: uh, and it's that thing of that's that foreshadowing where if they need to transition, they've already set up that story Yeah. Mm. where this guy doesn't just come in out of nowhere. Here he is. Oh, he's got the. It's like Stevie Young with ACDC. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah
0: it's it's a similar sort of family. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Mm. and he's doing a great job,
2: but I mean, Nico
1: to return back to Maiden and
2: Nico, Nico did actually sit in behind the drum kit uh, once, which was for a Belgian TV show in 1982, where Nico is behind the drums and they're doing a playback performance of "Run to the Hills" and "Killers." (laughs) I don't know if if you've been collecting video. I mean, I did all this VHS trading in the 90s, so I've got all this weird stuff. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I, I haven't seen that. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's on the.
2: It's on, it's YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And the killers' that's... version. And
2: the killers' version is the one from Bruce's audition as well. So it's actually Clive Burr drums. Wow. Yeah. And the, the the backing from Killers with Bruce's vo- vocals on, and then Nico miming. It's really weird.
0: <laughs> that's that's a, and that's amazing, isn't it? Like, but they just. Even for someone like Clive, I suppose you wonder if he knew, like, you almost think, is something uh, going on that I don't know about? Mm. You know, like, suspe- you might may be, maybe a little voice in the back of your head thinking, yeah, he's a great guy and I'll have to have him around, but mm. what's going on here, you know?
2: No, it's really interesting because he, he has been around the band. I mean, they did, Trust did tour with Maiden in 1981 when Nick would play drums with him. So, he, I mean, they were. Fully aware of them, of of him as a drummer and uh, the powerhouse he is, so that's definitely. It's, it, it was a logical yeah. step to bring him in for the next album after the Run of the Beast tour.
0: Oh, absolutely, mm. and he and he, he, you know, proved himself straight away. Yeah, like they they knew they they landed on their feet again. A potential sort of misstep or um, trouble, they they chose wisely, and then. He's the right guy, you know, as, as, as funny as his personality is, Mm but when he needs to knuckle down and do the work, he does the work and he delivers. It's like, and that's what they're interested in. I I think
2: that's the thing. The strength is the professionalism. And I mean, Nico having been a session drummer since the, the early seventies or mid seventies, I think adds to that as well because he, he really knew his chops. So yeah, it was a really easy transition, I guess.
0: Yes, and, and, and that sort of watching the um, sort of Hammersmith and the Rainbow and then you watch Dortmund yeah. with Nico and you just, you feel the whole band sort of settle down mm-hmm. and it's it just becomes more pro, yeah. you know. It's, it's a stadium-ready band. It just has that, because stadium bands have to breathe in us. you know, the music has to breathe and have space. It's like. And that's what he brings to that band—is that behind the beat, just the groove exactly, yeah, carries carries through an arena, mm. you know. So,
2: but what's, when did you see them live for the first time?
0: I didn't see them. I, the first time I saw them live was uh, somewhere back in time, mm. so two thousand Eight. Mm. I I I wanted to go in 1984 on a uh, number of the beat, and on, on Power Slave, yeah. sorry, but my dad wouldn't pay the eighteen dollars for the yeah. ticket because <laughs> my friend from school went with his mum, ah. and and so he came back and he had like the tour program and like a t-shirt, and I was so jealous, mm. and, and I was like, oh. So they came out in fear of the dark. I didn't go to that, and then they didn't tour here for for well, that would have been like
2: 20. Yeah, did they? Well, yeah, like... What's well, somewhere back in time? Like the first? F- way after yeah, 92? Yeah, the first time back. Yeah, okay, yeah. So
0: 15 years yeah. or something, I didn't come <laughs> back. So the whole Blaze era, um, yeah, that Ed Hunter tour, early days they didn't tour, and then once they got the jet and they could do that logistical yeah. thing, um, that's when they toured Australia, and that's when I first saw mm. them. And to be, it, be in the crowd with my... Uh, two brothers and hear an aces like the full aces high churchill speech yeah into two minutes to midnight like it was literally like being you know 10 years old again just like this is the greatest thing i've ever heard and it's and playing. it's so
2: it's so automatic it just sort of connects immediately with well for in in my part for when i put on live after death in 1985 it's the same you know hearing aces high and or rhyme of the ancient mariner for that matter
0: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's this to me. You well, talk about family, the opera. Mm. To me, if I had to sum up that band in one song, it'd either be "Hallowed Be Thy Name," but for me, it's actually Rhyme of The Ancient Mariner. Like to me, that is an absolute masterpiece th- for them. Yeah. It's like if you want to want to find want to work out what Iron Maiden really is, it's this. You
2: know, like I think "Hallowed Be Thy Name" is going to be as a song if i'm if i'm going to say what yeah. what symbolizes oh. made and it's going to be hello be thy name but i think there's other songs that i would prefer listening to in that sense but i mean yes 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 yeah. yes uh
0: but yeah hello it's unbelievable hmm. like that is just emotion and intensity and narrative storytelling like that made an epic thing and the what when it fires up at the end it's just unstoppable yeah. that song it's
2: no it's just a bit it's just a really great song yeah
0: so yeah first time was somebody back in time I saw him twice so like it was like tuesday and wednesday night or whenever mm. it was and then i saw him on final frontier in front of like forty thousand people so it was good to see him that was at the Soundwave festival mm. and so it was good to see him in front of the huge crowd yeah and then I saw them on book of souls and so i've seen them like f- yeah, four or five mm. times so. for me
1: six seven times i think i've seen them uh, yeah. henrik you got like 10. no
2: i think it's closer to 30. i don't re- i haven't really counted great, great. yeah <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean i saw them the first time i could actually have seen them in 86 but i wasn't aware that a friend of my mother's was going to the show and she hadn't told me if she had told me <laughs> I would have done everything to go yeah. to go along and then yeah. in 1988 I was summer in, time. Yeah. Yeah. in 1988 I was interested in aeroplanes too much so I didn't really focus <laughs> on them we gotta do an
1: aviation special at one point yeah. I think and uh, yeah, my <laughs> my cousin saw them at first time at 11. So his dad went with him. And I remember he, he said that he was so impressed by how nice the crowd was because he had this, still this 80s set, uh, state of mind that, uh, you know, hard rockers, heavy druggers, or mm. bad people. And he's like this Christian right-wing traditionalist uh, <laughs> fella. But he was impressed. He was like, yeah, what a good spirit it was at that gig. And I remember that was also kind of... Uh, good for me to hear, because I was still a kid. You know? yeah. I was still 12, and I didn't want like a scary crowd. I wanted a nice, mm. friendly crowd. And then I wasn't worried to have my first standing tickets as a... Actually, it was seated tickets, but we could go down and stand in uh, 2000, mm. when I was 13. And I think it's still one of the best moments of my life when we decided to ditch the seats to yeah. go down t- just... to the field, and yeah, wow, that, that was grand. Yeah, I, w- I was, was cool.
2: 15 the first time. It was the No Prayer on the Road Tour. <sighs> And uh, how and how was I it? Thought it was, what, I mean, what was your? It was great, of course, because I couldn't. I, I can't really. I I couldn't believe that I actually was seeing Iron Maiden on stage. It was totally unreal. And the, looking at it in hindsight, I mean, it was a fantastic set list. Twenty Two k Avenue. It was. It's cool. Tap your boots on. It was loads of these. Hello,
1: that's the ha- fifth. Hello, it was the fifth song. Yeah.
2: And yeah. uh, I, I sort of liked the No Prayer album as well, so I thought it was really good to hear the yeah. songs for, of that I, I one. Just
1: now I finally got it on vinyl, and uh, the A-side is strong, man. Yeah, it the is. The yeah. A-side is really strong. <laughs> B-side has its ups and downs, you know. It's not a Seventh Son. Not at all. Different <laughs> way, <isn't? laughs> but the A-side, <laughs> wow, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I had some problems before with the title track, the kind of pirate rock <laughs> sound of it, but... Uh, or uh, What's the word? What do you call that? Uh a, a, a sea yeah. shanty sort of thing,
2: not, sea yeah, not
1: harmonica, not harmonica, oh. the other one, the big one, uh, dragspel spell accordion. accordion yeah, I thought you were yeah, doing, doing the sea shanty shanty thing, <laughs> <laughs> do, <yeah. laughs> no, it's like an yeah, accordion. Oh, sound do- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay, uh, again, uh, digressing yeah. here, yeah. where are we?
0: But yeah, what way off? <laughs> well, well, I mean, really, we're, we're drawing to the end, I suppose. Like, Nico's in the band, I, I mean.
1: Yeah, did you talk about that yeah. as I yeah. was getting the the door? Uh, Nico coming in, and uh, he was already had toured with Maiden. They usually go for that type of cat, you know, Blaze had as well. Yeah. And I think Samson had played with Maiden the, as well. Absolutely. Maiden had
2: opened for Samson at gigs in 79. Yeah. Because so Nico
1: comes in with his cute... Posh hairstyle, yeah. you know, this kind of uh, short. I, I'm gonna it's put i I'll put a photo on our Instagram of Nico in this age with a bass guitar, with Steve's bass guitar. It's very cute, mm. actually. Uh, yeah, what happened there? You know, what happened during uh, '83?
2: Yeah, they got the new drummer, and they. I guess it was purely for tax reasons that they had to go to Jersey to rehearse, and then they went to Compass Point to record. Yeah. Because. They started making money in a way that uh, is it the IRS or what is it in England the
1: tax the tax man would be interested in yeah mm. looking at yeah like George George Harrison said in his old song yeah it's uh, uh nineteen yeah. for me nineteen for me and one for you mm.
0: <laughs> yeah it's that whole tax exile thing where you've got to be out of the country I think you can be in uh, England like three months of the year and then you've got to be out for nine yeah. months if oh, you don't want to. Yeah get hit with all
1: the... I met yeah, some of those lads tanks. in India, actually, And similar trip to my Aussie trip. I met some of those lads, too, that we're going to stay off the... Uh, no, that was American dudes, mm-hmm. yeah. but they did yeah. that same thing. Again, we'll be out of America long enough, we'll get tax returns. So something about yeah. that, I guess. And clever planning. I'm not sure how much money they have today, but I'm sure they have plenty of margin for pandemics and for whatever mm. could hit them. You know, they're gonna yes. going to keep going. And yeah, heading into the Nico era, now we actually have five guys in the band that are still in the band. Yeah. So this, uh, in a sense, it's a nice conclusion of the early years because this is the lineup, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what a lineup.
0: Yeah, wow. Like, this is it, you know? Everyone's found their place. Bruce, Adrian, like, it's all consolidated and... You know, they've done the touring mm-hmm. so they've got the the road chops and then you just get this guy who's this great drummer like and yeah. i was just saying briefly before that to, to henrik that he's he's got the feel for those big shows like that
1: i mean yeah. it's definitely definitely the end of the early days and we're looking in like eight years in so i mean again they yes. did do their fair share of dog work yeah. uh, prior to this but now they're on the bahamas recording a record mm same studio as back in black and a couple of david bowie things ca- i think no, as well yeah campus uh, point yeah and now they're up there now like there's no stopping them now maybe because we still had the 90s mm-hmm. right and the decline <laughs> yeah. of the popularity and everything but at this point we're definitely through the early years and uh, what what yeah. more could you add at this point you know we're going to finally enter peace of mind uh, actually and we yeah. have already yeah. because this uh, this episode is pre-recorded so we have finally already been on that album and it's such a record, mm. and it's timeless. Yeah, it's really timeless heavy metal.
2: Yeah, and the song you must have been before is "Die with Your Boots On." If it's alphabetically, yeah. yeah so, and I mean that song uh, shows off one of the really strengths of Peace of Mind, which is the three th- three songwriters on it. Yeah, song?
1: yeah, the three songwriters. Right, yeah. right, right. That's interesting that it took so long for them to do something together. Yeah.
2: And I mean, I'm, Even I'm it, sure Bu- it, Bruce was involved in stuff on Number of the Beast, but for legal reasons, he couldn't have credits on it. Yeah. But I mean, here we have it printed in black and white or in yellow yeah. and black on my album. But yeah. 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 Steve, Steve can concentrate on doing his stuff because he knows that Adrian and Bruce can write as well. So he doesn't have to do all the, do everything. So that's why he can expand on things like Where Eagle's Dare or To Tame a Land, which is one of my favorites. yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, speaking and of the early days, with the early days, with his planning of which songs are going to go on Ma- our Maiden, which songs are going to mm. go on Killers, mm. that luxury is gone. Yeah. Like, th- there's no vault anymore. Yeah. They started from scratch. Mm. At- then you have Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson and the odd Murray tune mm. to kind of uh, complete the production.
0: It's the beginning of that nine months on the road, two months make the album, yeah. Yeah. three weeks off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like the machine is just geared up and... That's that's the way it's gonna. I mean, that um, when Bruce says it's like you're on a the downhill of a roller coaster, saying "oh shit" for like six years yeah, or whatever it yeah. was. He says,
1: off, "You know, off the run to the hills." Yeah, you are,
0: you are, you are working. Mm. You know, like
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that's a great feeling, I think, for, from being in bands myself. When you're actually working, it's such a good feeling. That uh, yeah. and I think that's very, very conscious that they kept putting these time restraints on the actual writing producing of the yeah. record. But, uh, I mean, with an open end, for me as a composer anyway, I don't like open ends. I don't like creative freedom. No, I no, don't no. Like the, the deadline I, is crucial. I, think. I, like, yeah. I like a mission. You yeah. know? Make a hard yeah, yeah, yeah. rock album. It's a mission.
0: A mission from Mary yeah. A Ari.
1: mission from Yeah, <laughs> Six weeks, mm. hard rock album has to be made. It's a good thing. You yeah. know, it's, for yeah. these reasons that they kept doing it and they're not economical.
2: Yeah, and they also had everything yeah. planned and laid out four years ahead. So that's yeah, like five a five or ten yeah. year plan. Yeah, right, exactly. I think, or like something like that's that. That's the interesting part Amazing. because the plan, Amazing. the plan
1: itself, is kind of regimental, kind of militaristic. But the plan includes creative endeavors such as yeah. writing an album. Yeah, and that's planned in mm. there all authistically. You know, <laughs> like uh, six weeks. And, this and, is and, when it's going to happen, and there's no choice.
0: Yeah, I and well, Rod, Rod says in the the, the DVD he says. Well, what you do, you make a plan and you stick yeah. to it. Like, so you just, you make the plan, you set out your goals, and then you just start working to achieve them. Like it's, it sort of is that simple in a sense. Like it is. Mm. they just did it on this huge scale. It's like, work at your intention and go for yeah. it and then just do the work. Don't. And, um, but it's, um, that the couple of the quotes that I heard that I thought were interesting was when he said, it went very quick from the end of 79 where i put it, they got serious um to four nights at long beach arena it was less than five years yeah, yeah. with no airplay mm. like amazing yeah. like yeah. that's yeah. Yeah. unbelievable when you think of all that in that period mm. of time
1: that's because at this point book of souls is more than five years old yeah <laughs> the new record right so how it moves is way, way different but i think I would have loved to be in that context because the same when I'm when I'm traveling, not for musical purposes, just traveling, I like when it's ongoing. Mm. You know? When there's like there's no yeah. end to this. This is open-ended. This is what we're doing now. Yeah, There must have been a great feeling, especially around peace of mind. I think because obviously that lineup lineup has proved to work. Even though they had yes. the switch in the '90s, mm. they're all on stage. Not now, but. Well, in an ideal, ideal world, they would be on stage right now, and they are invited to thousands of stages around the world as soon as it's possible. Well,
0: it's yeah. I mean, and that's that thing. If you think about that period where they Bruce and Adrian left, you think if they made of if they had have taken maybe eighteen months off or two years, that that mightn't have even mm. happened. Like yeah. to, to to take their foot off the, the gas for a while. Mm. And for people to just chill out and have families or see their families or whatever it might be, have relationships with other people. Mm. Yeah. Like it's let real life um you know be be normal for a while. They might have stayed on, but it's that it was so relentless. Yeah. yeah. It's like
1: Yeah, we have that saying in I can't do it it, anymore. saying in Swedish, I think it's an English saying as well, when life got in the way. It, yeah. You know. Mm, and yes. uh, what did Steve say before? You quoted him. Things get in the way, but you can't let them. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not even life. <laughs> and, and
0: and really, I mean, if we, to to sum it up, it's 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 determination and work and grit. Yeah. Never, never giving in, staying the course, even when almost all hope is lost. It's that British bulldog. Yeah, spirit that that they that they have that like that wins trench warfare and it's sort of in their in their DNA. Steve Harris has that, and uh, Rod Rod has it with him. And then it's like, oh, and then the saying he had this dream. This is what Nico said, and we're just living it with him. Like that's literally it. He's the commander in chief. We follow. Mm. Nicely phrased.
1: And I mean, Brits are a particular crowd. You know, we have some connections with them as Northerners. We have some uh, blood <laughs> connections, some cultural connections, for sure. But they are different because they have this extreme determination to get gain control and gain dominion, uh, which we used to have like five, 600 years back, but it doesn't matter. And, but they also have the corkscrew thinking, right? They also have this... Yeah. They're not always... They are planned, but they're not strangers to weird plans or odd moves, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting bunch.
0: And that's, that to me, that's... The it's one man's determination yeah. to to overcome the odds and and just live the thing that you know live the thing he wants to do it's yeah it's un, it's unreal i
1: wanted to ask you ben as well before we wrap it up um, dortmund 80, 83 was that a thing for you did that hit you in like what age were you at around that <clears throat> nine nine <laughs> so because that was televised that was televised in sweden so yeah, like, no,
0: we, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get that. I wasn't, here. I I wasn't born. I wasn't born. But like.
1: plenty of uh, like Sweden's metal royalty became metalheads or hard rockers, as we said, uh, exactly at that time. Yeah, when it was because broadcast. they aired. Yeah, yeah. they aired uh, Dortmund, and it was huge. Yeah, it was so important. We didn't
0: get that at all
1: because that's literally the end of the early years uh, DVD. Yeah, the Dortmund gig, Eddie getting killed. You know, it's symbolic. It's yeah. quite symbolic Good in a night sense.
0: from Eddie and the boys. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. quite
1: symbolic in a sense. They yeah. kill yeah. Eddie. And then he comes back, you know, as the mummy, as the cyborg and whatnot, and Maiden keeps going more epic against all odds. Mm. How could you get more epic uh, after *Feast of Mind, really? But yeah, <laughs> apparently you could. So yeah. Uh,
0: well, Steve can. Steve so can. anyone <laughs> <like, laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, can, Steve can. Steve can. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking now, how can we conclude this? Maybe a little bit of a wrap-up in terms of just uh, going back and looking through what we talked about we talked about our maiden from mid 70s until um, 83 uh, lots of shit happened what's the what's the main milestones that we should like uh, keep with us after this episode what's the most important things i think uh, one of them surely rod smallwood entering yeah very important yes yes uh, another one of course steve's determination but that's an overhauling thing do you have any more like specific uh, stamps this, this was important.
2: I think finding Dave Murray must have been because see, he was ousted yeah. of the band, and then Steve even convinced him to come back to a non existing band, and Dave was <laughs> yeah. there with him. Right. Which Good is uh, shows his uh, faith in the music, I guess. Dave seems like a loyal yeah. character,
1: and it seems like his very difficult childhood paid off in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing seems to really face him. In the last episode, I said the brutality, the brutal nature of this earth. Does not phase Dave Murray. <laughs> you know, he seems to be yeah. like floating on this little cloud, and the way he speaks and everything. I mean, such a, an asset for a band. I think. Mm.
0: Yeah, he's he's like a naturally sort of, not innocent's not the right word, but it's he just has that childlike sort of thing to him where he he um he just nothing. Yeah, as just say, nothing phases him. He's he's kind of immune to the. I mean, you can't speak for him, but yeah yeah he's awesome he just he just glows yeah. in a sense yeah. you know like the big rosy the big rosy cheeks mm. yeah he's always smiling yeah. perpetual you know, smile it's it's illegal to, it, it's illegal to smile in a metal band yeah. not no. dave murray <laughs> you know like right. eddie van halen and dave murray yeah. you know yeah. so yeah. it's i i i, I tend um, to
1: smile on stage as well i think it, so do it is, I. I think it's uh projects a sense of comfort as well like, uh, it doesn't look super nervous when you, mm. when you do that, I think. And you're enjoying it. It's important. But, yeah, Ben, do you have another milestone? We have Rod Smallwood. We have Dave uh, Murray. There must be at least another one.
0: Bruce Dickinson. Um, but I, I would just say, the, uh, to me, the determination and the quality, He, he. it's one thing to be determined to do something, but it's another thing to make something of quality that people gravitate to and find. Like Escaping or Solace or whatever, Joy, whatever it is, though he did that. And those songs are sort of eternal now. And, yeah. it, you know, even the ones he wrote in 1978 when he was still scrapping around trying to keep a band mm. together, some of those songs still live, it's uh, still huge and still impact people. Right. And to me, his man, just his. Sensibility, like yeah, I've, I just think it's a, am- it's really amazing, sort of what he's what he's done.
1: It's a great point there that you have that even when the band was at his lowest, he's still writing yeah songs that will echo into eternity. So I think his belief was un, unrivaled. You know, mm. there was there was the nothing, oh, yeah, there yes, was nothing yes. that could stop him. You know, not even having a band, he's he's still the same as he is today, writing songs, making plans uh trying to get this whole thing together and i think yeah a stubborn guy and uh, then we all have a lot of um gratitude for that i think yeah
0: yeah he makes the world a better place yeah. mm. like that one you think of the 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 net effect of that one man's stubborn vision over the course of the last 40 years what he's done for so many people that's un- you know that's beyond politics everything yeah. like it's true Brought, he's just he's he's made be- millions of people's lives better and it's un- it's, it's really fantastic mm-hmm.
1: so I think that's a perfect point to end this one and this has been a long one I'm not sure now for your listeners if you're on part two or however we're gonna arrange this but uh, I knew it was gonna be a long one and big thanks to you Ben for clocking in with us from way on the other side of the world you're going into winter we're going into summer you're in the middle of the night we're in the middle of the afternoon you know mm-hmm.
0: what about this one Abstract
1: <laughs> What's that? Abstract Jan. What could that mean? That's not Swedish.
0: Uh, at, the, at, at the Irons in Swedish. That's what. I, that's what Google translates. Uh, okay, At right? the Irons is hard. It's young. super hard
1: to, uh, to translate. That would be more like Hey, i yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, yeah, hey I'm mm-hmm. But yeah. Okay. Uh, Google. Let's do the old one. Uh, the three words. The three little words that everyone wants to hear. Which is not I love you, but up the irons. Up the irons. It's from the north. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. A pleasure. Cool one. Yeah. How long did we record for it? Oh, shit. It's a long one.
0: Listen, Bruce, Then he's out of order. Bruce, Steve goes and tells him to go and I'm not something. concerned with, 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 with other people that can't fucking talk to me on stage who don't know how to fucking communicate with me. But he's not out of order. He does not know to do how to it.
2: communicate with me. Some country recording this.